When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your question on tipping for events, a hurried host, when to sing happy birthday, and public street parking problems. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about estranged family not acknowledging gifts. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript that's a sneak peek into the characters we've created for the 20th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, too. The book is in. (laughs) It's not finished, but it's in. It's in. It's in. We have gone through what is considered the developmental edit. This is where you're really working the content to be what it needs to be, where it needs to be, and cross-referenced correctly. Um, And the next edit that happens on our project is the uh, copy edit. So it's like once everything's really clean, that's when they go through and make sure that all the grammar and the spelling is perfect on it. Um, And that's, that's always a really satisfying stage. But boy... This last one, because how, how do you feel? This was this is your most intense editing experience so far, I think, right? It absolutely has been. Yeah. And I'm feeling so good. <laughs> good. That's good. That is good. <laughs> I mean, there, there is still some nervousness, obviously, and, and there is still a lot of work to be done, as you mentioned. But in a lot of ways, the 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 bulk of that work has shifted out of our hands. We'll still be very closely involved with a lot of it, but... The heaviest lift for you and me is all done. I don't know about you, but I am feeling that like weight release of like, oh my goodness, it's been, I think we've been about two and a half months straight of every day there was some kind of pressure and push to get this work farther along to get it really honed so that you know you know what i mean and that work it just it does take so much time and it was passing through my eyes your eyes trisha post's eyes sometimes peter post's eyes and cindy and and peggy's eyes um back and to it your was, eyes back to my then, eyes yeah, then back to ours together and then there would often be especially these last couple of weeks you did a really good job on the last round of doing like a hard read 
does this all really make sense? What are we really saying now that we've said the stuff we want to say? And it was really good edit. So it's funny. I remember the episodes where we were talking about having finished the writing and having finished then the first round of edits before they went into the publisher and how great it felt and how proud of this book we are. And I am like so much more proud of this version now. <laughs> you know, it's like, boy, I'm glad we did. I'm glad we got that three months, you know, or the couple months break while Caitlin had it and then, you know, uh, the three months ourselves to work on it. But boy, I got to say for sort of a clean manuscript that came back to us from the publisher, we reworked some stuff big time and getting in there and really debating that out. It was interesting writing like the emotional roller coaster of it, as well as the actual content producing roller coaster of it. It was funny how I would get so frustrated Anytime we had corrections to make, and I knew that it was a really good thing to have happening at the same time, you know, it would be like, no, I just, I just want to know that we've done it right. And well, to get it right, you've got to keep editing it. <laughs> like you've got to keep going after it. I can't imagine the emotional toll that it must take of working so hard to, to generate that first draft and then to watch people <laughs> just in iteration after iteration go through and pull it apart and pick it apart and <laughs> ask the demanding questions. I I, I really applaud yeah. your emotional <laughs> stability through through the last couple of months. I, I know that I have a hard time taking a lot of criticism and responding well to critique of work and <laughs> I thought you did a did a really great job. Uh, well th thank you for that. I I was cracking up over one of our very last exchanges where, you know, this is like we're literally talking 11th hour, like it's 11, 11 p.m. on the, the last night, the day we're trying to turn it in in on our due date. Actually, it's like beyond our due date, but the last final day we can really get it into the publisher. And you were going over this one paragraph and and just kind of kicking yourself for it, like just say, oh, what have we written? What is this? What? And I finally had to pipe up and say, I'm I'm I, it's hard to hear you say that. And you were like, oh, my goodness, I was saying it to me. I thought I wrote this section like but this it was, doesn't it make was any really, sense. What are we even I, saying here? We start yeah, like no, this like, and we finish like uh, this. And this is how we transition. Yeah. Each one was like a hit to my heart. And it was like it, it was a good moment of of actually being able to express that and you t both taking it well and letting me know it had not been your intention at all to create that feeling you thought you were talking to and about yourself it was but it was that kind of stuff that I think I wasn't expecting to emotionally deal with during the process. You know, it's like, I know we've got to rework this, this content. I know we've got to make it the very best it can be. I think that was one of the more, more interesting aspects of it and difficult and difficult that and just the gruelingness of it, the every day when we took a day off on Tuesday this week, it, it was tra transformative. Like the idea that when you finish your dinner, you're not going back for a three hour editing session or that if you don't then read after the three hour editing session, you're not like bargaining for time in the morning. Like, okay, I could wake up an hour early before our, our next session together. <laughs> you to know get what this I mean? reading like said, done that I didn't do last night because I just went to sleep. 
because like it's uh, everything is a bar. Everything of your time is a bargain, you know. And and that includes the the fun stuff like birthday celebrations and hanging out with the family or getting to spend time with like for me, it's getting to spend time with like my niece and nephew. It's or just friends. Like it's it was all bargained against. How far are we in the book? And it's so nice to have that behind us. So nice because I'm taking off. On I was going to say. So uh, what are you going to do, Lizzie Post? <laughs> I'm headed to the vineyard for the for the annual family trip. I am ready there after this podcast. It's it's shopping and packing, and I'm out the door. So I'm I'm really excited. I know you've got projects at home. You're excited to finally get back to and hanging out with the fam on a more regular schedule again. It will be nice. Although I'll, I'll confess, you talk about this weight being lifted. I kind of feel like I'm still swimming my way out of it. My my brain is still gotcha. very full right now. <laughs> Pretty much anything I think about, I'm relating back to something that we've been working on. In the book. In the book, yeah. in my mind. It's, oh, this is like well, that, hey. or this is like that, or this would be part of chapter four. Isn't that a just a sign that the book crosses over into so many parts of life? <laughs> like, that the topics are applicable? <laughs> One would hope. One would hope. <laughs> Well, I want to say thank you to you, cousin. This was a really good process. We got through it. We did it as a team. And that's a that's a team of two. And I really appreciate all of the work that you put into it to make it all the easier throughout this. Well, you're you're most welcome. Thank you for that thought. And in some ways, I feel like we should include our awesome etiquette audience in that. They've been right here oh, with definitely. us. And everybody listening to this who's been a regular listener has listened to several intros at this point where we yes. process our <laughs> editing work. And the audience for Awesome Etiquette has been a source of inspiration for us. And I definitely feel like the people that listen to this show have been along for the ride and have a view into the creation of this book and have been a part of the creation of this book. Yeah. And a really exciting thing for me is the thought of sharing that book with this audience at some point in the not too distant future. I'm hoping that people will read sections of the book and and remember questions that they've heard that might have inspired some of the advice there or that is very similar advice, you know? I can't imagine I, this audience wouldn't see a lot of themselves yeah. in this book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, speaking of our audience, do you think that we should get to some audience questions today? I think that is a great idea. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. 
Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled, Tipping for Large Events. Hello, wonderful, awesome etiquette friends. Thank you so much for your amazing show. I've been a listener since the dinner party download days and so appreciate your modern, helpful advice. I hope you can help me with my current situation. I am hosting a celebration of life event for my mother, and I'm trying to figure out the proper amounts of tips for the various attendants we have hired. This event will be at a rented venue where an events manager has helped me coordinate my caterer and an AV person who is coming in to run a slideshow and also ensure the smooth playing of music and audio for the service. We will have a catering staff of five servers for approximately 70 to 80 guests. We plan to tip the servers 20%, but how do we determine what 20% is? Also, once we determine the amount per server, is it okay to give individual envelopes to the owner of the catering company for him to distribute to his employees? To clarify, this is not a sit-down dinner, but a buffet-style luncheon. However, the servers are also going to pass a single welcome appetizer and distribute iced drinks, as well as guide and usher our guests from the area of the room where the memorial will take place over to the area where the luncheon will take place. They will then monitor and assist with the serving of the food. We also plan to tip our AV guy, and since I know his rate, it'll be easy to figure out the 20%. I'm a little confused what to tip the event's manager. She has helped a lot with the venue, answering questions and coordinating our vendors. I'm sure she will also be helpful on the day of. I tend to feel like maybe an even $100 is probably appropriate, but I'm not sure if there's something I should be basing this total on. Thanks once again for your wonderful show. Sincerely. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. We're sorry to hear about your mother, but it sounds like this will be a wonderful way to celebrate her life. Typically, when it comes to large events, you're right. We think about tipping people like the caterer and the musicians. Other vendors, we don't always tip. It's kind of a, a, a not one size fits all type situation. And because you've got this event planner that you've been working with who's been doing such a good job or event coordinator, I would actually talk to them about the tipping, uh, especially in the case of the caterer where you don't know, you're, at least I'm hearing that you don't know what the bill is or how you're going to determine that 20%. Usually it's your, it's 20% of the catering bill. 
And so, and it, that can be included in the catering contract. So another reason why it would be really, really good to ask the events coordinator that you've been working with, uh, whether or not these tips are already included. If they're not, what you could do to find out how much that 20% is. It, it should be very easy for them to figure it out. Lizzie Post, that is such a good idea. <laughs> You've got this really good event manager who you're thinking of as a really great event manager. Yeah. That is exactly the kind of thing you can lean on them for. It hadn't occurred to me, and it's exactly the right advice. <laughs> I'm so glad. The other thing is, and this might sound a little bit more awkward, but typically you don't tip a wedding event coordinator. They have a set fee that they work with and that's what they do. And often they are really grateful to receive things like reviews, recommendations, testimonials, that sort of thing. But you can always ask if you're feeling really inspired and it's okay to not lean into this. It's okay to lean into this. But if you want to ask whether or not they accept tips, that's always an appropriate way to go if you're thinking this is someone who just really went above and beyond. But typically that coordinator position is one where they have a set fee and you don't tip on top of that. I'm curious, Lizzie, would you think of the AV guy because he's handling sound as well as some other stuff as maybe equivalent to a DJ or a musician? Is that a, a parallel to draw on your mind? In this case, I think it's a really good question to ask. And again, I love that we have this coordinator that we'll get to go to and, and find out whether that's typical um, at this particular venue. But I think that because he is going to be monitoring the music throughout, it, it does kind of tip more into the category of that musician or DJ who would traditionally receive a tip. So I think in this case, the AV person is a really, really good one to be thinking about. And again, asking asking the coordinator the question. Anonymous, it sounds like you are planning a lovely event and that you're thinking things through in a way that should leave all of the people that are helping you coordinate it feeling good as well. We hope that our answer helps and that everything goes smoothly. One of your principal obligations is to systematize your saving so that when you see something you really need or very much want, you won't have to beg dad for it or borrow on next week's allowance. Our next question is about a hurried host. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I just listened to your party prep host countdown postscript segment as presented in the most recent episode of your podcast. I'm a type A organized and timeline driven person and love to hear that there are other people out there that rely on practical organization and good timing to throw a successful party. About once a month, we have a party, and I always have a mental timeline that helps me feel in control of the situation and ensure that my guests have the best time possible. Last month, we had my husband's family over for my father-in-law's birthday party. They're lovely people, and we usually don't have any issues when we host them. However, this time, my brother-in-law and his family arrived a full hour and a half early. I was in the middle of finishing up the party meal prep and hadn't gotten myself ready or changed into my party outfit, nor had I, nor had I had, nor had I had the 15 to 20 minutes just before the planned start time to unwind, have a drink, and prepare myself to host. There wasn't any confusion over the start time of the party. They were just in the area and thought they'd stop by early. Needless to say, my schedule was thrown out of whack. 
I had to host and entertain before I was ready and felt rushed and scrambled for the party. I also had to awkwardly leave them to their own devices in my house for about 20 minutes as I had a shower and changed while my husband put the finishing touches on the meal we were preparing in our very small kitchen. I feel like a bad host. Do you have any suggestions on how to ensure people don't show up way before the party is to start? Or do I need to be more flexible in coming up with a plan B just in case this kind of thing happens? Perhaps I need to chill out and go with the flow when unexpected events like this happen. I would greatly appreciate your advice. Thanks, hurried host. Oh, hurried host. This is... Not an unheard of situation. You know, like this happens. People show up early. It does, like it's not unheard of. They don't show up an hour and a half early usually, but it's it's again not unheard of. It really isn't. And sometimes the culprits for those those smaller infractions, those mm-hmm. 10, 15 minute early yeah, infractions yeah, yeah. are the etiquette aficionados, the people that are really focused on being on time or even being a little early, with mm-hmm. the thinking being, oh, if I'm not early, I'm late. But really, on time is on time. Exactly. Early isn't necessarily on time. I, I but- am because I am very glad you just said that because I think that particular thinking applies more towards things like appointments, interviews, stuff like that, where if you were late, it would be incredibly problematic. A social gathering like a family birthday If you're going to be very late could be problematic, but if you're only going to be like five minutes, 10 minutes late, that's still within your grace period, your arrival time, as we tend to think of it as. And so you don't need to, for social engagements, apply that if you're not, uh, what, if you're not early or late uh, mentality to it. So this is more than that. And Mm -hmm. and that allowing for that is one of the the sort of logics behind giving yourself that cushion as a host because mm-hmm. it does happen. But we're talking about a, a, a much um, a much more extreme example. Yes. I'm curious, how do you feel our hurried host did? I think our hurried host did an excellent job welcoming people in, explaining where you're at with the getting ready, that you, you weren't prepared to be hosting guests now, so please pardon my lack of being able to be a host. I'm going to go shower. Husband is in, in the kitchen finishing dinner. Uh, you know, all, all of that, I think, is the best you can do with the moment at hand. I don't think that I would ever turn someone away. But boy, I would be hoping that when they realize they've walked into my house and I am still very much so in getting the party prepped, the, the, you know, the decor, the meal, myself ready, that they would say, A, is there anything we could do to help? Or B, would it be helpful if we just left and did something else for another hour and a half? If a guest is that early, as a guest, have those kinds of thoughts in mind. You might not realize you were early if you got the time wrong, but as soon as you discover that your host is in this state of still very much so prepping, offer to excuse yourself and not end up being in the mix while your host is still trying to get ready for this event. I had a very similar thought. I was thinking about the... Example of an unexpected guest showing up for a meal. Mm-hmm. You're you're not expected to be able to materialize extra food out of thin air, but you are expected to divvy up, do the best you can, share mm-hmm. what you do have available. Because you're dealing with a unanticipatable rudeness, you're only on the hook. Your only obligation is to do the best you can and yeah. not be rude or mean in the process. So yeah. as you said, as long as you don't send them away – 
or get angry at them. I don't think that your duties as a party host kick in at that particular moment just because they're early to a party they've been invited to. In a lot of ways, I was also hoping that your guests would notice exactly what you're describing, mm -hmm. that they're arriving that early created a situation where it wasn't perfect for everybody. You were still in the middle of things. They were interrupting. And the expectation for them is then to be as minimal a burden as possible yeah. and certainly not to start judging your hosting <laughs> yeah, skills no. an hour, hour and a half ahead of time. No, definitely not. Because this was definitely super early. I mean, an hour and a half is nowhere near a grace period. But a lot of the time someone can miss it. They think that a dinner starts at seven instead of 730 or something like that, or six instead of 630. And they show up in that half hour where you're probably still getting ready. And I have to tell you, I have many memories as a child of my mother with her her uh, rolling brush and her hair hair dryer, like still all in place, you know, <laughs> like half a half a slip and a towel on, you know, shouting, "Oh my gosh, come in! I can't come greet you at the door. I'm so sorry." And then she, you know, she makes the excuse for herself, which is perfect appropriate since this has been sprung on her in the moment. Um, either she would send us kids down if we were home or she would call something like that or my dad would be able to entertain as best he could. But you kind of do what you can in the minute. Get everyone a glass of water. Um, invite them to take a seat or to, you know, enjoy the yard if you have one. And then excuse yourself, say, I've got to go finish getting ready. I apologize that I can't be down here with you. And then go get ready and then come down as soon as you're ready. It's perfectly fine for you to be doing all the last minute touches that you need to do. Um, it, you shouldn't have to feel like all of a sudden you're a bad host because your attention is divided. Because I want to take this advice and even extend it out a little bit. Okay. I think that what you're describing is the only contingency plan that you would need. <laughs> totally. You're not on the hook for having a, a strategy in place for if people show up an hour and a half early. I don't think that is a reasonable expectation on anyone to be part of standard party planning. I completely agree. Good. Very good. That is a very good point to end this on. <laughs> Well, and I'm also thinking about the desire to prevent something like this from happening again in the future. Uh, and I'm wondering if it would be okay to mention this to the guests. And I couldn't come up with a good sample no. script for <laughs> instance number one. No, I am so with you because it's I, – I was thinking like, so do you tease them about it on their way out or the next time you invite? And I was just like, nope, a, a gracious host wouldn't. They don't need to. There's no need to. But what would you do if it was someone who – is repeatedly doing this and it's not just like a, a a once off or a mistake you know it's like a no 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 we're just around earlier we're out and about and, and this is like more than more than two two times that this has happened the second or third time that i experience something like this i would think about making a mention of it ahead of the next event so I wouldn't bring it up as a comment on something that happened previously mm -hmm. but if it was starting to show up as a pattern of behavior, mm -hmm. I would make a, a part of my request, not part of my invitation, but part of my host guest dance communication for the next event, asking for a period of time before the party or maybe mentioning specifically that you won't be available for a period of time before the party mm. so that they can really 
firmly coordinate their visit at the arrival time that you've invited them for. Hurried host, we certainly hope that our advice helps. You sound like a fantastic host. Count us in the camp of people who would love to be invited. So, oh my gosh, we just invited ourselves, Dan. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Tisk tisk tisk. We are bad. We are bad. But hurried host, you sound like an excellent host. And we hope that the next party, you've got all your prep time to yourself. And when you're invited to a party, practice the skills of a good guest. Be on time, ready for fun. Take part in the party. Help everyone around you to have a good time. Our next question is titled, When to Sing? We have a big debate every time someone in our family has a birthday. So it would be great if you can settle it for us. Which is proper etiquette? Singing happy birthday before you blow out the candles or singing happy birthday after you blow out the candles? Thank you, Amy. Um, I know what we do in my family, but Amy, I fear we're not going to be able to totally solve this from an etiquette rule perspective. Dan, am I right? Are there etiquette rules about happy birthday? You sing more happy birthdays than I do. There are definitely etiquette rules about singing what? happy really? birthday. What? Really? I'm gonna, really? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make them right now. You're gonna you absolutely oh, oh. sing "Happy Birthday" before the cake is I presented, know, or yeah. while the cake is brought out. I mean, and that's what we do in my house. But is it is it universal? Is that like is it big enough that we could say that's the etiquette of Happy Birthday cakes and blowing candles out? At the risk of contributing to familial discord, I will say yes. Amy, you've gotten us to take decisive stands. I am now very curious what the rest of our audience is going to say about singing happy birthday and blowing out the candles. We would love to hear your thoughts on this. Okay, but but before we leave, yeah. I, I have to mention that for me, this is such a, a, a particular picture in my mind. And I'm 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 joking with my sort of definitive response. There's absolutely <laughs> an etiquette rule. We couldn't um, tell. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But to me, it is like a, a, a very clear picture in my mind mm -hmm. that the cake is brought out and presented with lit candles on it mm -hmm. in perfect situations. You can in a dim the lights room. even a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Um, that the we happy didn't grow birthday up in the same family. <laughs> singing happens as that cake is presented. And there's even this this wonderful moment that I, I look forward to and enjoy sharing with children and adults when the cake is <laughs> presented and the, the conclusion of the happy birthday song happens and maybe somebody's yelling uh, many more or <laughs> if it's a kid's birthday and you do these little like rhymes about how many times you are years old or <laughs> there might be someone at the table who says something like make a wish and as the the final strains or chords of happy birthday start to die down the candles are blown out, and in the silence, that wish just hangs in the air. And then everybody oh boy, cheers. We, uh, that's poetic, but <sighs> in my family, we don't have very many, like, much silence happening right after the candles it's just get a moment. It's big it's just cheers. A moment. Yay! That's what happens as soon as the, the candles all get blown out. Like you, though, I would love to hear what the picture is, what the image is of the singing after and how that functions. And I, and now as I'm starting to try to imagine it myself, I'm thinking I could see ways that would feel good, but I've never experienced it. And I'd love to hear how that works. Amy, thank you so much for this question. The nation joins those present in best birthday wishes for a distinguished elder statesman. 
next question is titled Parking Problems. Dear Lizzie and Dan, we recently moved and have gotten to know our new neighbors in our friendly community. However, one of our next door neighbors parks her car directly in front of our house. We share a property line and she has tons of space in front of her house to park. How could I bring up the conversation as a new neighbor? She is extremely sweet and we've met her a few times. It's a public road, so she's technically not doing anything wrong. But every time we look out of our front windows, her car is parked there. This is just a minor annoyance, but it seems silly as she has space in front of her own home, but parks over the property line and in front of our home. Any sample script would be extremely helpful. Sincerely, Obstructed View. Obstructed View, thank you so much for the question. And pardon the digression, but I have to tell a little personal story. The okay. house that I live in is at the end of a town road, and there's a turnaround at the end of our road for the town plows to turn around and go back down. It's a very tempting place to park for people who'd like to access the woods and the wilderness up behind our house. And it's just a little awkward because even though it's a public road, it's essentially parking in our driveway. Just to jump in and clarify for the audience here as a third party member, it so much looks like it is Dan's driveway or the parking area for his house that I mistakenly park there regularly. And I've known this property for years and years and years and years. And you would be most welcome to do so because you're <laughs> a guest. And it's really nice to have that extra area, particularly when it's summertime and the trucks aren't turning around. They're available. Mm -hmm. The previous owners of this house had put up a sign that says no parking, town turnaround. And it kind of looks like an official sign, but it is not an official <laughs> sign. But it seems to do the trick. But it gets at the idea that we don't, you know, if if cars aren't supposed to be there or they're not really attached to our house, it can feel awkward when they are parked right in front of our homes. And so I, I understand obstructed views annoyance, especially when there is a parking option in front of their neighbor's own home. If there wasn't, I think obstructed view wouldn't even be writing in, but there is. So the mm -hmm. question is, why isn't the neighbor using it? And that question is for me, the most natural sample script to raise this with your neighbor. Oh, yeah? I think so. I think that a questioning attitude or spirit and script would be the, the softest approach to raise something that's a genuine question for you. You're not going to present it as a problem or ask her to change her behavior right away without figuring out why it's happening. And I think that's a natural place to start. I would also look for a time when there is another discussion going on. I would look for a, a natural moment of opportunity with this person who you're developing a friendly relationship with. And it sounds like those opportunities are, if not abundant, that they will present themselves. And I'm getting that from the description of this relationship as friendly. Without making it a particular problem that's the main point of the communication, by looking for that natural time to talk about it, you don't bring the emphasis to the problem, but you really keep the emphasis on good neighbor relationships and easy solutions, the exchange of information, communication. Mm -hmm. And that's where you want to keep this friendly neighbor relationship. It's also possible that you might discover their reasons why she's parking there. Ah, this does happen from time to time. I was trying to imagine a couple different things. I definitely know people that 
maybe don't park on the side of a house, but park in the front because they go in the front door. So it mm-hmm. might just be a question of access that you park the easiest place for you to get into your house with your groceries. Or no, yeah. Another possibility that occurred to me is trees. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people don't like to park under certain trees. Either they drop pollen or fruit or little animals live in them. And it might look like that spot is just the same as that spot, but it's the difference between having to wash your car every couple of weeks or not. And it's entirely possible there's something like that going on that just makes it that much easier for you to understand what's happening when you look out your window and see a car parked on the street pretty regularly in front of your house. Because it could be a very dramatic and theatrical reason, like she's actually a secret spy and she can't park her car in front of her house. (laughs) But then it probably wouldn't be in the same spot. (laughs) No, I'm teasing. I think it's also a pretty natural possibility that it's so easy to park another 10 feet further forward Mm -hmm. that the second that you mention it, you start noticing that it's corrected. Yeah, that very, very well could be very well could be. I'm a big fan of just dealing with things and asking questions. And I I find that a a friendly tone, a curious nature, and a very much so a willingness to just let it go if it doesn't go your way will, will go long in neighbor relationships. But there was one part of me that questioned whether or not just parking. Oh boy, your, oh, I can't I wait. Know. <laughs> but there's there is one question that started to formulate in my mind. And I was wondering if maybe you just start parking your own car there in front of your own house. And if that like, you know, just solves the problem because then she sees that you're parking your car there and she's gonna park her car in front of her own house. Or maybe two doors down if this is like the th- her thing, you know. Lizzie Post, that is such a um practical solution (laughs) it's a little it's like probably considered passive aggressive but you know i'm just throwing things out there obstructed view we're happy to hear that you're developing good relationships with your neighbors and hope that this particular issue doesn't become a hiccup whatever direction you decide to take with it stepping out of a car into the traffic side of the street without looking carefully is another version of the same game Yet as drivers, we unconsciously do this when we park our car and change from the role of driver to that of pedestrian. It is a strange paradox that one moment we're the driver cursing the careless pedestrian, the next moment we're the pedestrian cursing the careless driver. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have feedback from Aria Benjamin on episode 352 on helping workers with their workload. Today we have feedback from Aria on episode 352 on helping coworkers with their workload. 
Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a longtime listener, and I've written in on a number of occasions through Facebook. You two have helped me both so many times, and in no bigger way than helping me to understand more perspectives than I was able to find on my own. Thank you so much for this podcast. I'm writing about the first question you tackled on episode 352, about dealing with a coworker who doesn't accomplish as much at work asking for help. There may be a perspective here that hasn't been considered. Unless there's some bigger problem we're not privy to, it seems to me that when a teammate asks for help, the correct response is to help in any reasonable way. Certainly, you can't let that bring you to a place where you're burning out or making yourself miserable, but to the limit of your resources, you should always be helping the team. Going to the supervisor, even with the best prepared script to avoid problems, isn't a way to accomplish more as a team. Outside of specific reasons for things like security, no supervisor is ever going to object to a team member helping another with their abilities. If you can't reasonably help, be honest and say so. That's when you might suggest going to a supervisor. If you can help, just do it. If you start to feel someone is taking advantage of you, keep helping. Sometimes that will work in the short term, but the long game is always being the most helpful team member you can be. Your coworkers and superiors will always eventually see through the guise of people trying to take credit and will recognize the value of those who get things done. Maybe not immediately, but inevitably. The trick is, you do the work because you are working towards the same goal. If you're doing the work because you want to advance, everyone will see that too. Align your goals with the team, and you'll benefit with the team. Align yourself badly, and you'll find problems. Aria. Aria, thank you so much. That is a great reminder to to pitch in and help when you can. And I really appreciate you emphasizing that part of it so that a, a team approach is less based on what's my share, what's your fair share, and more on how are we going to get this all done today. I can definitely say that that has been the mentality around Emily Post lately, <laughs> is that how can we all pitch in and get this done as fast as possible? It's a great reminder. Thank you so much for the feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next piece of feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we wanted to, drumroll please, Give you a sample read from our 20th edition of Emily Post's Etiquette. It won't be a perfect quote. There are still edits that could happen, but we wanted to share it with you in its current form. One of the things that Dan and I had the most fun with in this edition was bringing back characters to this book. Um, Emily's original 1922 edition and, and many of the early, I would say, 30s, 40s, 50s editions had these wonderful characters in them. Mrs. Three and One being a famous one, Mr. Club Window, the Once Wers. The new, the new, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Newlywed, Mr. and Mrs. Kindheart, the Gildings, the Worldlies, the Learneds. They're just all these different characters throughout the book. And we wanted to bring a little bit of that back, but also make it a little bit more applicable to today. So we thought it would be really fun, audience, to introduce you to our good host and good guest characters from the 20th edition, Mr. He's a Good Host and Mix Elwesa 
Good guest. A good host. Mr. He's a good host creates comfortable and entertaining experiences for his guests. These are two sweetly simple goals to achieve. He is also enthusiastic about hosting. He isn't over the top, but his friends and family can tell that he is thrilled they came and that he really prepared for their visit. This is not burdensome or anxiety-inducing. It's fun. Maybe not the cleaning ahead of time or having to track down RSVPs, but Mr. Goodhost generally wants to be a host. He does his best to reasonably accommodate his guests when able, like providing a Wi-Fi password or accommodating a dietary restriction. He's also smart about his smart speaker and turns off reminders and alerts so they don't blare out during the party. He knows how to redirect his guests when necessary and is comfortable saying no to what he cannot accommodate. With a strong sense of what he's comfortable providing and what his guests enjoy, Mr. Good Host is the kind of host whom people always want to say yes to, and if they can't say yes, they are always hoping for a rain check. We might not all be great at throwing large or intricate gatherings, but everyone has it in them to be a good host. And shall we uh, pair our good host with Mix (laughs) Oasa, good guest? I think we shall. I think we shall. A good guest. Mix Oasa Good Guest is a host's dream. They respond promptly to invitations, whether casual or formal. When appropriate, they always offer to bring something. They show up on time with anything they had promised to bring and without anything extra that would be an imposition. Mix Good Guest is adept at participating during any gathering, talking with other guests, ooing and aahing over gifts open, joining... joining appropriately in any entertainment. They never take advantage of or try to stretch a host's generosity. Mixed Good Guest knows to offer help at casual and informal events and will happily return to enjoying the party if their offer is declined. They always compliment the host on whatever is going well or is excellently done. Mixed Good Guest senses when the party is winding down and does not depart a moment before – When the time does come, they head to the door and thank their host for a most wonderful time. They are a dream to entertain. And the host guest dance goes on. And the host guest dance goes on. It was really... I I have to interrupt because (laughs) it it could be easy to hear you read Mr. He's a Good Host and not know that it's spelled Mr. (laughs) H-E-E-Z-A. Like his name is Heza, the way Emma, yeah, the way Emily would have her characters have have names that were close but not quite. <laughs> like it, it should theoretically take the reader just a little bit of work, but not too much to understand totally. the characters that are that are being presented. Totally, Mix Alwaysa, A L W A Y S A. Good guess. I was. I, I love that one. I love how Alwaysa runs off the runs off the tongue when it should be always a good guess. <laughs> Sorry, I just laughed at my own joke. That was terrible. <laughs> and um, I want to welcome our audience to the process because I can't yeah. help looking at these names and say, boy, you know, we did a good job with the first names, but we just couldn't figure <laughs> out how to do good host or good guest as phonetic mimics. Or <laughs> No, we didn't. We didn't. There are other ones where, you know, it's like I think we have a Mrs. Five O'Clock somewhere. 
And I think her name is like five O, and then uh, the clock is like C L O Q U E, and and a dash, a hyphenated last name was somewhere. Some of them, you know, you 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 can't you can't cloak every single every single part of it, but um, it was certainly fun coming up with these. I loved getting to use them as a way to illustrate good behavior. Um, there are some very funny characters that illustrate bad behavior. It was a fun part of this book that made it different from, I think, a lot of the etiquette books you and I have actually been a part of reading. In fact, I don't think we've we've included these in in any other books. No, it's it's a direct throwback to Emily's original, the the twenty two edition, where she had these characters, and I think it would also be important to mention that the entire book isn't written in this form. Correct. That Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> these, are, these are sort of uh, interludes throughout what Highlights. I think people would think of as more traditional etiquette book running text where we're really describing without painting the picture a lot of the, the etiquette that makes up the heart of this book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it was certainly fun to introduce you all to these characters. We look forward to being able to introduce you to everyone who made it into the book in 2022. <laughs> we like to end our show on a high note. So we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Anonymous. Take us away. Hi there. I'm a big fan of the show. I listen to it all the time with my family. I've never written in before, but I just witnessed a wonderful display of human kindness and immediately thought to send it in. My family and I are down at the coast for the weekend, and we're heading back home. We decided to stop at the beach. My parents and little brother went to walk on it, but I don't have the right shoes, so I'm waiting in the car. Doors open so that I don't get heat stroke. Where we parked was next to a guy who seemed to be having some car trouble. My dad talked to him a bit and we learned that he had a bad flat tire. And while he was driving to the beach, the tire fell off the bead. We offered to call someone, but he declined. After my family left, a car pulled up across the parking area and they had an air tank. They started filling up their tires. The man jokingly called out, Hey, that's what I need. The people in the car finished filling up their tires and drove over to our side. They filled up the man's tire while making pleasant conversation. Since it was such a bad flat, he pretty much had to leave immediately as it was leaking a ton of air. He was incredibly appreciative to the people who had helped him, and they seemed very kind. Not too long after, they drove away as well. I wanted to give an etiquette salute to these good Samaritans who saw a man that needed help and had the tools to do so. They expected no recognition, but I saw and figured I had to say something. So thank you to the people who helped a man in need, and I hope he got to a service station okay. Anonymous. Anonymous, that's such a great fly-on-the-wall observation of, of an etiquette salute. Like, I love it. I love this. It wasn't, I, I just think it's so cool, like, to be a bystander of witnessing, like, really great human interaction. It feels so good to watch people naturally be good to each yes. other. Yes. No, I was just going to say it does. It really, really, really does. And that's exactly the purpose these salutes are supposed to serve. Anonymous, thank you for sharing that experience with all of us. And thank you 
for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. You can send us questions, feedback, or salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of Awesome Etiquette on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find Awesome Etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris Thanks, and Bridget. Chris and Bridget. 